Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Shrozovosti with Find Your Film. Eric Holmes rebranded our cinematic hodgepodge to cinematic hodgepodge, so credit to him for the moniker. As you know, this our cinematic hodgepodge, every single week I add just stuff that Eric and Bruce do as far as movie coverage that doesn't actually make it on the main show, our weekly show, which is mainly... Look, we have the What's in the Box with Bruce and the recommendations from Eric and Bruce as well. A lot of it is very brief in context because we're covering a lot of the main films that are coming out on a given week. So there's a lot of stuff that falls by the wayside. The stuff that falls by the wayside, the ones that I maybe I'm kept in a ditch, hopefully are resurrected or brought back for the cinematic hodgepodge. So for this specific installment, we have three segments. Okay, the first one is a conversation with Eric and Bruce talking about the Edgar Allan Poe classic story, The Telltale Heart. Now, the interesting thing about this is they don't talk about the career of Poe or the just the ins and outs of the story, but they talk about the story in lieu of the POV from two different directors who actually each made shorts of The Telltale Heart earlier in their careers, I believe. So, Jules Dassin, a filmmaker that Eric Holmes was really, I guess for the past year and a half, he's really been passionate about. We previously covered the Jules Dassin film Never on Sunday on a previous Find Your Film episode, but Dassin stuff includes such movies as Brute Force, Thieves Highway, Night in the City. By the way, on an upcoming episode, we're going to bring back the director's spotlight and talk about the Jules Dassin films, Thieves Highway and Night in the City. But for this installment, Eric and Bruce will be talking about The Telltale Heart, which was a short that Dassin directed back in 1941. So they're going to counterpoint that short with another short that Robert Eggers did years later. And I'm going to look him up right now with year. Robert Eggers, the director of The Northman, and also my favorite film, The Lighthouse. Just kidding. I, I really did not like The Lighthouse. That's a movie that I think I should actually rewatch because I panned it. I gave it a really low review, and maybe that's, I think that's a movie that I'm going to really love. Anyways, Robert Eggers, I'm looking at IMDb. When did he direct The Telltale Heart? Yes, he directed his version of The Telltale Heart in 2008. Okay, so you're going to get two different visions of the Poe classic, from one from 1941 from Dassin, and the other one from 2008 from Robert Eggers. Okay, so that's them talking. That's the first segment. The second segment will be... Eric's niece and nephew, they're going to talk about, they're going to give their review of the children's film, The Bad Guys, which I enjoyed. And the thing is, it's it's one of these things where it's almost review proof if you're a certain age. So I, it would be interesting to see what kids think of The Bad Guys. Do Anton and May, do they, do, do they actually think the movie works? I don't know if the movie works. I liked it. I've had to see it three times with my niece Claire. So it's one of these things when you actually have to watch a movie over and over again with your five-year-old niece who you love more than life itself. You, you just have a bias towards the bad guy. So that's going to be the second segment. Anton and May will be, it's called Find Your Kids. Anton and May will be giving them their, their uh, lay reviewers, their, their kid reviewers and giving their take on the bad guys if they liked it or not. Finally, our third segment will be a, our probably our most uh, i don't know maybe esoteric segment because it's a spoiler segment that you may not even want to even listen to you might want to listen to the first two just for the heck of for the heck of it especially if you're a Poe fan or you like either Eggers or Dassin and you want to actually check out how a couple of kids how a couple of children youths love uh love the bad guys but the third one is watcher is our spoiler just a 6 to 7 minute take on 
what we thought about the ending of the psychological thriller Watcher, which stars Maika Monroe, okay, and Byrne Corman. I think Byrne Corman. So Watch Watcher actually came out on June third in five hundred theaters. So this will have actually have a select, hopefully, listenership. If you want to learn what happens at the end of Watcher, we break down the ending and why each of us had different complaints about the final the final act, the final moments of the film. That said, both Eric and I really enjoyed it. We both gave it four and a half stars and Bruce Perky liked it. He recommends it with three and a half stars for Watcher. Again, Watcher currently is in theaters right now and it'll, and it'll be out in on digital and on demand in a couple of weeks. Okay, so that is our version of the cinematic hodgepodge. I'm looking right now at, I forgot to actually add, what are we going to be Reviewing this week on Find Your Film, you know, I'll tell you one thing, both Bruce and and Eric are so excited about this week. I am not excited about this week because it's Monday. I have to actually watch six movies by the time Wednesday rolls around. I am very nervous. If you can tell the tremor of my voice and the absolute abject fear I have because I don't even know if I'm going to get to half of them. But let us see what Bruce Berkey put on, on the Google Doc for the recent what we're covering this week. I believe there's a movie called Mad Dog or something. Mad God. Okay, let me. I'm opening it right now. The Google Doc, Google Doc which I use as my respective Bible. If you hear the the um, the what's it called? The, 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 if you hear the lawnmower in the back, I apologize. Okay, they're they're doing the back right now. Okay, so the big features this week. There's a movie called After Blue. Eric and Bruce have already seen it. There's a movie called Unhuman, which Bruce and Eric have seen. And finally, there is Mad God, which they have both seen as well. After Blue, it's, I forgot the name of the filmmaker, but Eric is a huge fan of the filmmaker behind After Blue. But Eric is, I know actually, I know Eric Holmes is so excited to talk about After Blue and Mad God this week. Also, Eric has seen Crimes of the Future. Which the new David Cronenberg film. So he and he, me and Eric will just uh, just uh, throw the tennis ball back and forth and uh, talk about if that movie works or not. I loved it. I don't even know what Eric Holmes thinks about it. And finally, for the What's in the Box segment this week, Bruce Perky will be reviewing the genre noir classic Grand Illusion. All right. So that is what we're doing. We're recording on Wednesday. The Find Your Film episodes release on Thursday at the latest every Friday. And hopefully, once I get some kind of schedule going, these cinematic hodgepods will be coming out on the Mondays and Tuesdays. So it gives you a little bit of a primer of what to come and also some extra content in the Find Your Film universe. All right, guys. Love you all. Here is Eric and Bruce. And also, for the show notes, check out the show notes because I, I break down the chapters, these three segments, so you can just plop in and out. Okay? That And yeah. All right. That's it. I'm going to talk and I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let Eric and Bruce do all the talking from now on. Bye. Hello, my name is Eric and I'm here with Bruce Berkey and you're listening to Find Your Film After Dark. Today we're talking about a very dark writer. His name is Edgar Allan Poe. I don't know if you have heard of him. He's pretty, uh, pretty obscure writer, director, and actor. I don't know about the other two. <laughs> uh <laughs> We're here with Bruce, and my camera's fucked, but that's cool, because this might just be an audio-only thing, so that'll be perfect. We are talking about Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, and we're talking about that because I saw Jules Dassin's first movie, which is an adaptation of The Telltale Heart. It's a short 
uh, came out in 1941. And then, well, Bruce, I'll let you take it from there. What about the other one? Because uh, I posted that one and you said, hey. Yeah, I had, I don't know how it came across my like mental state, but somehow recently I had heard that Robert Edgar's Robert Edgar's <laughs> Robert Eggers had done a um a Telltale Heart as well, but I'd never seen it. So I looked it up and on Vimeo you can get it. It's from two thousand eight. Some days say two thousand nine. It kinda of depends on where you find it. Probably because it went to film festivals or something. But yeah. So I said to that to you, and you were like, oh, cool. I'll watch that too. And then uh, we both, uh, I'm sure you, I, and most people have read these stories, specifically the uh, the Raven, probably in grade school. And I do remember reading this in grade school, but it had been a long time since. Like, I knew the story that a guy killed someone and his heart's beating underneath the floorboard. That's about all I remembered of it. And so it was cool watching these two shorts. Like, obviously, I'm a Jules Dassin fan, so that's what got me on this path to begin with. And then you mentioned uh, Robert Eggers. And then I went back and re-listened to the audiobook of it, which you can find on YouTube. They got the one of uh, Christopher Lee doing the uh, the reading on the audiobook. That's a really good story. And what I like about both these shorts is that I kind of want to get your take on it. But from what I get is that neither Jules Dassin nor Robert Eggers has a air quote faithful adaptation of the story. They take like the beats are all the same. But they each one has kind of a different take on the characters. So for the short story, the main character, I don't think he has a name, just narrator, but he's kind of recounting the whole story. This is this is him recounting the whole events after the fact. And he's pretty arrogant about it. And he's uh, the people that he's telling the story to. He's trying to make it seem like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm I'm brilliant. And this is what I did to blah, blah, blah. And then as it goes along, you find out, no, he's he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not quite as uh he's not quite as smart as he thinks he is. In fact, spoiler alert, his arrogance is what got him in trouble to begin with cuz he kept hearing the beating and then that's that's what uh uh he thought that at least my take on it was that he thought that the detectives were playing with him. These what did they think I'm stupid? They think I don't know they can't yeah. hear that. And then so like his own, you know, his own uh arrogance kind of uh Get some caught. And then the Jules Dassin one, because in the short story, the, the old guy is not a mean guy. And the Jules Dassin one is basically a victim that's been that's been uh abused mentally and probably physically abused by this old man. And he had, you know, he just had enough and kills him and then tries to hide it. And then the Robert Eggers one, oh, I'm trying I'm trying to think like he had kind of a different take too. Like he's definitely crazy. And they focus on his they focus on his eye and the Robert Eggers one. It seems a lot more, which is a really big part of the short story. But I, I think it's really cool how you get the uh, two different takes of the same same story. And like the, you know, like I said, all the beats are the same, but they have kind of different takes. And I think this is kind of a, a story that you can tell over and over again and come at it from a different from a different point of view, which I think is really neat. Yeah, and I think that's why I mean, in general, Poe gets remade over and over again or, or adapted because it's like pretty universal you know it's crime stories tales of madness tales of terror yeah. in some form or another i think um going back to your original point about the original story which we listened to the christopher lee version is really good too if you like christopher lee it's it's really fun because he definitely dramatizes it quite a bit and he's got all of his classic christopher lee isms uh, especially like he rolls his r's in certain parts and really fancies it up a little bit but it's a lot of fun to listen to if you want to hear the actual story and not read it go for that i was struck first of all part of it like you said at the take on the 
protagonist slash murderer, I guess, is the main guy. In the original story, I've always wondered, it's kind of odd because it almost comes across as if it's like his confession or if he's being questioned by the police and we're hearing that or it's in his memoirs or something. But because we during the telling of the tale, he talks about getting caught or essentially giving up the ghost because he's losing his mind. And he says like, you know, it's under the boards, you know, rip it up. It's kind of an odd construct for a story. The artifice of it is if he's telling somebody it, it's already happened, then why is he so proud and like so confident that it's just, it's interesting. I think that's what kind of the character that he set up in the short story. That's, that's kind of part of his uh, craziness. Like he thinks he's smarter than everyone. It, it's almost like, and he's not crazy. I'm not crazy. They think I'm, yeah. I'm not crazy. And I'm going to, I'm going to prove to you that I'm as sane as any man. And then it, as the story goes on, it's like, he's trying to build himself up and he has no self-awareness that he's actually, the more he's telling, the more the yeah. leader's like, no, this guy's fucking nuts. Almost like, uh, it's almost like Anthony Perkins character at the end of Psycho. Like he, <laughs> yeah. he, everyone knows he's crazy, but he thinks like he's, he's fooling them, you know? And uh, I think that was, that's a really interesting thing about the original story. But then, like you said, the two approaches, vastly different, but both really good. Yeah. Now, I think to me, the hardest thing is Dasson, and you can kind of speak to this a little more, like how it displays kind of his way of kind of presenting stories. Because like you said, and so in the Dasson one, well, first of all, it's surprising that both don't deal with a bunch of voiceover because this story yeah. almost begs for it, right? Almost begs for you to hear those voiceover through the whole thing, kind of telling the tale and yeah. then showing the events. And they neither of them do that, which is really cool. They let the story tell itself. And like you said, in um in the version with Dasson does, the guy, he's like he has a loom. He's like he's working for the old man. He's kind of like a but he also seems to be kind of his basically his assistant slash slave. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, it's almost similar to a, a Christmas carol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, uh Ebenezer Scrooge and uh Tiny Tim's dad, I forget his name. But it, it's it feels almost kind of like that kind of relationship where it's like you are my employee and you will be under my thumb the entire time until the guy's yeah. like, I can't fucking handle this. And actually the Robert Egger version has like the exact opposite of that. It's a guy, he's a caretaker. And I almost, it's not real explicit, but I almost got that he, uh, he couldn't handle the caretaking part of it. It was like weighing on him. And it's like, I look, this guy's nearly dead. I'm just going to put him down now. And they killed him. It's like, oh shit, I gotta, (laughs) that's true. I think, I think you're right. I think there is something to that. I also think that, um, it's interesting how I believe if I'm right, right. The Dassin version, the police coming over and that whole scene, doesn't that happen in the, the daytime? Yeah, I feel like I think so. it happens in the daytime. There's like an open window, and the psychosis is shown in the Dasson one. Is like he's uh, the, the water is dripping, and people are tapping their fingers. All these little things that are that are reminding him of the heartbeat, and they're they're driving him they're driving him crazy. Which I thought was really good and different, definitely than Eggers, which we haven't talked about Eggers much. So Eggers version, early Eggers compared to what he's doing now, but you can kind of see his obsessions in, in even his, this version, like it's very, like all the stuff seems really archaic and, and like, like yeah. old fashioned tools. And you could see he's really obsessing over like the placement of all of the artifacts that the guy uses in his daily life. And he has the rep- repetition of the, uh, you know, the chamber pot and uh, the poop getting <laughs> smaller yeah. and all that stuff, just weird things like that. And then the one thing I think that uh, I think both are really good. The one thing I liked in Eggers more, and I haven't seen this or it's not even in the story exactly, because the story highlights this point where every night he goes and watches the old man and he goes and he opens the door really slowly, turns the doorknob really slowly, and then looks at the old man and, and waits to see like with the light 
like see the yeah. old man's eye or whatever, right? In the Eggers version, they make this really cool. This is like the coolest point in the whole thing, I think, is where he is turning the doorknob very slowly in the rhythm of the ticking clock. So that I, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So he's basically turning it and he turns it like he turn, turn, turn turn he d- turns it as the clock ticks and the camera makes a point of going from his hand doing that on the doorknob and then it pans all the way down to the set the, the bottom floor of the building to show the clock ticking and then it pans all the way back up to his his uh, hand right. going in the rhythm so he's like so obsessed that he's worried that the sound of him turning the knob slowly will be heard so he makes sure that it corresponds with the turning uh, or the ticking of the clock That's... and i thought that was awesome i'll now have to watch it again which will yeah. be easy because this thing's like 20 minutes long. Both of them are about the same, including the uh, Christopher Lee version. All of them are right about 17, 18, 20 minutes, right? Yeah. I, another thing, uh, cool thing about the short story that I don't think either one of the shorts captured, and I don't know how you could, you know, when they say something's uh, story's unadaptable, this particular part I think is a good example of that because I can't think of how you would do this effectively. But when he's in the, uh, when he's about to kill the old man and the old man wakes up, and then he just talks about how he's just standing there in his room in the dark room because he mm-hmm. at this point he's already in the room, but he's waiting for him to go back to sleep so he can kill him. It's just this really creepy, just painted this really creepy picture in my head of him just sitting there trying not to breathe too hard, trying to basically just you know camouflage himself in the shadows, and the old man's just sitting there like every every little creak and breath and crack and everything. He's like, what? what's that? What's that? And he's like talking to him, so, like talking to himself down. Like, well, no, it's just a creak in the floor. It's just this, that, you know, it's nothing to be scared of. But I think, I think Edgar Allan Poe really just nailed like paranoia and fear in that particular part of the short story that I don't know that you can redo that on a film, but I think Robert Eggers got real close. It, at least the part he nailed is what you were saying with his um, patience and methodology of sneaking in the room to begin with. Yes. Right. And the only other thing that, that happens a little differently in the, uh, the two is the story for anyone who wants to read it. It's, it's not very long. I mean, you can read it in like, I think yeah. it's like five or six pages. And if you're listening it. to this, you should have read it yeah. and seen it. <laughs> it's an amazing short story. And, and he's got, he's got uh, obviously tons of stuff, but he's got it. I, th- I would say pretty universally agreed upon at least four to five, six very, very classic, you know, short stories. But the one thing that the, all they both have is the basic structure is, you know, like the presentation of the situation, the attempts to keep going in and, and seeing him at night before the killing, and then the investigation or the questioning by the police. And that's where he kind of goes mad. And I like how in, so in Dassin's version, I like how he's terrible. He's a terrible liar. <laughs> like yeah. he's doing things that are so <laughs> guilty looking. And like, there's this one point where he's swinging the chair you know, and he's standing there, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? What he's like swinging the chair across the floor, which is where the guy's buried. Like that's the whole point is he's sitting right above the guy that he's buried. It's hilarious. And it's like the focus in that one is it's kind of the focus on that one is more like the perspective of us kind of with the police seeing how guilty and unusual this guy looks like he doesn't, obviously he's up to no good at best. The yeah. difference in, in Egger's version is 
it's really subjective to the guy's point of view, to the point that there's that one point when the three investigators start looming over him and kind of creeping towards him and they have these weird grins in their face. Like and and basically that's his perspective of what they are. They're like basically like monsters coming after him almost. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting and different too. I think with the Jules Dassin version, I think that's the only one where I'm rooting for the the guy, the narrator. Yeah. And and probably because he's the only one that's like he killed Basically killed the old guy out of self-defense. The other two, the short story, he killed him because he's crazy. And then the Eggers version was, uh, you know, he was a caretaker. And so maybe the Jules Dassin is one that, like, the main character is the only one that's like, uh, no, I get it, dude. Like, you shouldn't have done it, but I get it. You know, so when he's, uh, when the detectives are there. And Jules Dassin is really great at that anyway, with the Toe Copy and Rafifi of setting up the situation and then just kind of letting it play out. And he's not, like, even in the short, he's not afraid to just kind of let things linger for a bit, get you a little uncomfortable about the situation that's playing out in front of you. Of course, in the short story, it's uh, the interesting thing there is less of suspense and more of uh, just watching him just go further into math, <laughs> explain further how crazy he is. It's like... These stupid cops, what do they think I'm stupid? They think I can't hear the beating? Oh, they're pretending they can't hear the beating as well. <laughs> it's like, oh god, this is hilarious. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, I think that you nail it on that one with Dassin's version because you said earlier how it reminded you of what, like like Scrooge. Like he's kinda like Scrooge. Yeah. Very Dickensian, right? Where it's like the little person is just getting abused by the powers that be and, and there's like lots of like, you know, rich or richer people just taking total advantage of poorer people. So I think that that is very much what's going on in Dassin's version. And once again, uh, I guess Poe is to that degree, he's like Shakespeare, you know, like you can do like 20, 30 different versions of it and get different things out of it in the same ballpark, but the kind of a different slants on it. And I think, I think both of these uh, Robert Eggers and Jules Dassin, uh, their takes on this, I think these are really good examples of how to do, like a adaptation or a remake, you know, on like a nowadays, whenever there's a remake, people just kind of roll their eyes like, Oh, another one. But I mean, there's good remakes and there's good adaptations. But the thing is like, I get the feeling that Jules Dassin and Robert Eggers both uh, were really taken by the story. And I'm like that, that's uh, that Edgar Allan Poe guy. He's pretty good. Um, and I got to take on this. So I'm going to roll with it. And so it basically comes from uh, being inspired by the source material yeah. and wanting to add to it as opposed to, uh, well, I guess they have heard of Edgar Allan Poe. Maybe we can make a couple bucks off this and then just kind of trot out whatever. Well, and that's what we talk about, like the 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 remakes or the re- or adaptations of things that we see. And the ones we liked are the ones that really represent the perspective of the different directors. You know, obvious examples are The Thing or Invasion of the Body Snatchers or, oh, a Suspiria recently like yeah. i didn't think i didn't think they could come up with a good you know version of that and it was very different but also really good and i think like you said when the filmmaker is truly inspired by the work then what's going to happen is it's going to the work is going to represent how they felt or how they were impacted by that particular story or movie and therefore it's going to be different because it's that individual reaction as opposed to like Hey, let's remake the fog, but let's do it in PG thirteen. We can make a bunch of bucks with some teenagers now. Yeah. Well, that's gonna suck. <laughs> so Yeah, it comes off as uh you guys aren't trying, are you? <laughs> yeah, no, they're no, not. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a cash grab. But I guess the last thing would be like if people haven't done it, like freaking check out Edgar Allan Poe. Maybe uh I mean that we kinda fell on this one. Like this kind of dropped in our lap, basically. 
Um, I'm wondering if there's any other, not necessarily like Edgar Allan Poe short stories. I'd say Harlan Ellison, but I know for a fact that he didn't have a lot of adaptations of his work. But I guess Stephen King, he's got The Woman in the Room uh, that Frank Darabont adapted. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's like short story adaptations, um, either made into feature length movies or shorts that, you know, we could kind of, uh, and then more than one. So we can kind of compare the original story with the adaptations yeah i'm trying to think i, I can't think of any off the bat but like if we can come up with something it'd be fun to do something the, like this again the only ones i can think of off the top of my head are are some of the really obvious famous ones like the lottery i know there have been several versions of the lottery which um, one's that the lottery is the one and i won't tell the whole story but it's where the the whole town comes together and they all have to draw like if it was a ball or a stick out of a box the whole town comes together and, and you find out at the end why they do that it's kind of a real obvious version of kind of folktale um, folk horror, and it has to do with kind of it's kind of Wicker Man ish in some ways, but it's a really really famous story, and I think it's by mm, I could be totally wrong here. Is it by Shirley Jackson, the one who wrote The Haunting? I could be wrong, or The Innocence. Uh, I'm probably know. just speaking out my ass on this one. And the other one I can think of is called The Yellow Wallpaper. That's yeah. another really famous one. But I can't think of another author other than Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe that have had lots of stories adapted. I guess Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. There was like a bunch of adaptations of that. Um, but it's not short stories. She's not known yeah. for short stories. Where yeah. Those other three are all known as But that book is stories. so good. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dracula is really good too. If you yeah. don't know Dracula. And yeah, they did that weird thing of making those, those stories were all like letters and stuff. I forget they call that kind of story where it's not a normal novel. It's like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of what the word is because donkey brains. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Anyone listening to this, if you got any ideas of uh, short stories with like more than one adaptation, because I, I think like if we do this again, the I think the fun thing would be to compare adaptations. Maybe they're both great. Such so I, I personally think that Jules Dassin and the Robert Eggers, like, I don't even really have a favorite. This would just be a, and even with the short story, this would just be what kind of, what kind of version of crazy am I in for today? <laughs> am yeah. I in for Edgar Allan Poe crazy, Robert Eggers crazy, or Jules Dassin crazy? Yeah, I, I really like your idea of people of even like other cultures. Like what would happen if you had people from another culture doing it and like adapting yeah. it through their spotlight? Because, you know, or... I don't, has this ever been done? Someone's going to tell us if this has been done. Has there ever been an anthology movie where it's all different directors adapting the same short story? I've always wanted to do something like set something like that up, like uh, get, like say, I don't know, three or four directors and they get one script and they all get the same script. And so they all do the same, you know, they're all shooting from the same script, but with different crews. So we get to see a cup, the same story played a bunch of different ways and see how they, uh, See how the see what changes are made. The only thing I can think of, honestly, that's kind of similar. If people, if people haven't looked for it, and I don't have the name in front of me, but there's that Lumiere movie thing. You know what I'm talking about? I where don't it's think like so. They took the original camera, the Lumiere's original camera, which if I remember correctly, you had to crank it. You had to crank it to make it run yeah. the film through. And you could only do it at like, I forget what it was, like two minutes at a time. And it was all in-camera editing. Like you couldn't edit after the fact. And they gave all these modern directors, including David Lynch, two oh. minutes to use the original camera and make their short. 
with yeah, that camera. I, I did see that. It was him, Spike Lee, who else? Bunch of people. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of a variation of that. And once again, I don't have the name of it in front of me. So I'm sure you guys can watch and look for it out there. It's probably pretty easy to find. But when you watch it, it's, it's a perfect example when you watch it. And like a lot of them are really interesting. But then you see David Lynch's, and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's David Lynch. How the fuck did <laughs> David Lynch become David Lynch in that setting? And it just goes to show what you think or say about certain directors. Some directors just shine above as like, okay, he's a true, he's a true crazy original, whether you like his stuff or not. There's no doubting it when you see some kind of a project like that. And I think that would be really fun to have some short story like The Black Cat or pick your short story. Pick some weird, obscure short story by Stephen King that's never been made into a movie, which is rare, but there's probably a few out there. And uh, have the, like... Oh, that, I was going to say with the Stephen King short story, The Boogeyman's a really good one. And there's like a bunch of uh, adaptations of that like that you can find on YouTube. Yeah. No, well, there's really a that great. ton of like hot <laughs> up and coming directors right now. Think yeah. of all the directors you could do. I mean, you could have Ari Aster and Eggers and Peel. You could go down the line. The, the the woman who did Babadook. You could get that joke. What's the name? Joko Anwar from Indonesia that's doing all that Satan slaves. You could get um, Juan Diego Escobar Zate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would love line. to see someone give him a uh, give him like a hundred million dollars and say, "Go make." I have no mouth and I must scream. That uh, the story is crazy, and he he would fucking just make that awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Someone hop <laughs> on that, please. Someone make that happen. <laughs> we will watch it. <laughs> Anything else? Um, we done? no, no, I think that's it. But, uh, yeah, just anyone listening, if you got any other cool ideas, I'll, I'll keep an eye out because this, this, like I said, this whole, I, this whole thing that we're recording right now just kind of accidentally fell in our lap. And I kind of like to break down, uh, something like this again. Because I think it's fun. I would too. Everybody out there, make sure you... Well, you can't see his glass. He's bought... Eric loves to drink out of his Find Your Film glass. It must be very tasty. <laughs> I'm holding it up right now. You can't see it because my camera's fucked up somehow. But finderfilmpodcast.com. Where That's you can right. get all the glasses and other merch working on a uh working on a shower curtain <laughs> if you ever get that shower curtain my kid's gonna go crazy he keeps saying did they ever make a shower curtain i go i can't i don't have the access access to the templates but i know that eric does last thing is we are uh you know we do our weekly podcast so check it out if you haven't checked out find your film uh usually it comes out every thursday or friday at the latest but usually thursday uh depending on how gregor scissorhands is working the, as we record this we are about to come out with an episode that's going to be a it's going to be a doozy don't you think Oh, yeah. The, I'm greasing up the shirt cannon right now. I might not be as greased up as you are, but <laughs> I'm somewhere in the ballpark. It's definitely, uh, we've got some of the, at least a couple of the weirdest movies we've ever had on the show, I think. <laughs> not yeah. saying something. And then I just I just watched uh, Crimes of the Future this weekend, so that'll be, I, uh, yeah. I didn't, so you got, you got me on that. It, it, so. It's all straight up crazy this week. <laughs> For sure. And then Greg's going to put this out after that episode comes out, so. Sure. Well, you've even already heard go back it. and listen to it. No, no, you haven't listened to it for whatever reason. You're, you're you're crazy. You haven't listened to it, and you somehow came upon this first. Go back and find episode. I don't have it in front of me. Episode number whatever it is uh, that has crimes of the future and uh, Mad God and After Blue yeah. and some other stuff. And if uh, your drinks aren't that good, go to finderfilmpodcast.com and get yourself a Finder Film glass. It makes every drink better. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I guess that's it. <laughs> All right. I'm Eric hi. with Find Your Kids, and I'm here with Anton. Say hi. Sup. And I'm also here with May. Hello. And these two have seen a movie 
called The Bad Guys. And, you know, I suppose I could uh, review the movie, but for one, I didn't see it. And even if I did, I'm just an old man. <laughs> an old man that doesn't like children's <laughs> movies. All right. But, but you know you know who is? You know who are children? <laughs> that would probably be better suited to review a movie like this would be you two. Yeah. So why don't you guys go ahead? I'll I'll let you take it over from here, and just go ahead and tell our listeners about the bad guys, what it's about, who's in it, and what you thought of it. All right. Thanks, and, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And it's Anton and May here in Eric's room recording this. Now we're in the studio. Yeah. We're yeah. Still- we're we're in yeah, a nice. very a very professional studio. All right, you guys. All right, we got Sam Rockwell at the Voice of the Wolf. He, let's see, he was in the... He was in the first Ninja yeah, Turtles. Yeah, That's all I know. First Ninja <laughs> I also found that out, like, five minutes ago. Um, Moon? Um, okay, I don't even know those movies. Not- oh my, wait, no, yeah. never mind. I thought um, I F is for Family, that's one. Okay. Well, anyways. Oh, oh, oh yeah, he's in the Trolls World Tour. Oh, okay. So, yeah, th- those are mainly all the things, but, yeah, Sam Rockwell as the Voice of the Wolf... Mark Marin as the voice of Snake, Aquafina voice of Tarantula, Craig Robinson as the shark, Anthony Ramos as Piranha, and Richard Aonade as Professor Marmalade, and Zazy Beats Diana Foxington, aka the Crimson Paw. Okay, based off of these, what do you think is your favorite character? Hmm, that's actually a hard one. Uh, I really like Snake, but if I had to choose one, it would be Piranha. Why do you say that? The the way he's very funny, and it's it's awesome. Okay. I personally think maybe uh, Diana Foxington slash the Crimson Paw. I mean, Mainly because, n- number one, she's the m- main leading female character. And number two, what about, she's wait, a very, wait, 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 she's stop. able to keep her, pers- like, one of her pasts behind her. And it's very What about Chief? What about Chief? Okay, never mind. But, yeah, and so, I like Piranha. And, yeah. Basically, it's, and we're gonna go on what it, it, it's about. It's off a store, a book series called The Bad Guys, which I personally love. Didn't you say that the, it's not similar to the book series? Not similar at all. Like, there's no way, because in the first story of the book, it's them going through all their crime. And then trying to act good, not them being bad already, and then t- turning to good. That's interesting. Um, would you think of like when you were, t- if you were to summarize this, how, how would you summarize it? Dumb. I I just think it's dumb for all <laughs> movies not to go off the books. <laughs> go off the books. Learn. Learn Anton, from the books. Anton. It's the Anton. book. Read, Anton. Uh, a little read, read, Calm and a little down. learn, learn. Okay, calm down. But Anton, that's how if you'll if you'll read books like let's say it if you were to read it, and we're on a PG podcast. 
I'm still mentioning it. Um, if you were to read it and the like, the book it and watch the movie, they are not similar. That's just what it is with reading books and movies. Don't recommend. But otherwise, otherwise, how did you feel about the movie? Honestly, when we went to go see it at the movie theater, it was it's an hour and forty minutes, and for me, it felt like twenty. It does feel like a short movie. So when it comes to people who didn't read the book, do you think they'll like it? Because I know since yeah. you read it, you have a different I, opinion on yeah, it. Yeah, but, um, but I'm pretty sure they would. Honestly, it's not made... The book's made for people who actually read. <laughs> not, 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 not... Are you, saying, Anton, are you saying that people who watch movies don't read? Not saying they don't. Just <laughs> saying they rather watch a movie. Um... But, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you read the book, it would actually make a lot more sense, but... No, I think it'd be fine without the y book. Yeah, I think, yeah. Honestly, I mean, I never read the book, and I find it to make complete sense. Yeah, wait, I thought you read the book. No. Oh. I, I never read the books. But, yeah, just, there's one movie, I think, that kind of went off the book Okay, thing, we're gonna... Which is Captain Underpants. Yeah, but we're going to stay on track with this, Anton. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. When it comes to the movie, what do you think is the craziest event? When when the the dolphin award ceremony. Like the second yeah. one, not the first one. Of course, we don't want to give away the entire movie, but the first and both of them, the dolphin award ceremony are very crazy. What's the dolphin award ceremony? It is a ceremony where the kindest person in town gets an award or a trophy that looks like a dolphin. The dolphin, hence the dolphin award ceremony. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's basically kind of like, I li like it. The second one is the thing of betrayal. The first one is a thing of, of, Just of losing your dignity. That's all I have to say. It's losing your dignity. Wait, dignity? What is? I've heard of this. What is dignity? When you lose your, when you have pants on, I guess that's all. Oh. Okay. <laughs> if, 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 if you lose your pants, you lost your dignity. <coughs> so, so uh, qu quick spoiler: we're gonna have a. Uh, they're, they're trying to get away, and oh you'll see God. this in the trailer. So it's not that much of a spoiler. They're, they're trying to uh, grapple on it and then go down. But it's hooked to the wolf's pants. Yeets them right off. Anton, do you actually know what dignity is? Let's look it up. Yeah, no, here. Let's, right, let's, let's sure, Google let's the word dignity. So um, you can know the actual the definition. Okay? That's all I know. Sorry. It's more of a... Here. The state... Or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. Now I know. So pretty why. much, pretty much, he loses his dignity, like by losing his, I guess, quote unquote, street cred. I honestly really like the movie. I think it's good whether you read the books or not. Yes, it is different from the books, but I personally like it. I would give it a eight out of ten. Seven, uh, nah. Eight and a half out of ten. Why do you say that? It's just an awesome movie. The the real life. Even all the smack you've been talking. Honestly, really, I like it. It's just all. It's an awesome movie. I'm just g g giving it crap because it didn't go by the books. That's how. I think how you whether I think whether you read the books or not, it's still a really good movie in general. So so 
In general, an eight. Where's my fifteen dollars? I'm done here. <laughs> I ain't got fifteen dollars. I never gave me fifteen dollars. That was this. never part of the plan. Anton, I'm broke. I can't give here, you that I got, money. I got a, I got a nickel for you. Oh, nickels for everyone. Uh, nickels. Rainy nickels. It's raining. Hold on, there, there's your nickel, sir. All right. May. Bright, shiny nickel. A nickel Thanks. like five cents, right? And May, you get an extra penny because you didn't just call me out on the podcast. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. I mean, I still have more. I, yeah. I got over a hundred bucks. Still need my I'm broke. Dollars, All right. That, uh, that, 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 hey, uh, Rick, actually, real quick before we go, what are some movies coming out later this year that you guys are excited for? The new Puss in Boots movie. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh the, the, the Super Dog one? Oh, yeah, there's a the, super dark uh, Kevin movie. Hart's in it. Um, Any role he's in an animated movie just <laughs> makes it awesome. I I mean, it already came out, but the new Sonic movie. Yeah. I'm excited to see that one. Still haven't seen that one yet. Also, uh, uh, just so you know, um, my co-host Bruce, he has a box, and in that box he puts movies into and every once in a while, he'll draw a movie from the box, and whatever he draws from that box is a movie he has to watch. Do each of you have a movie that you would like him to put in the box? Maybe a movie that you would like does Bruce he have to see. In there? I don't know if he does or not. I don't think so. Ask him. Well, to mm. just say that you're putting the movie in the box now. Ace Ventura. I'm pretty sure you've seen that. Just who please, hasn't? Please, just oh my put, God. Just have, All right, so Ace Ventura in May. What do you got? Oh, that's it. That's hard. Um, there's so many movies. Um. um What's what's a good one? The Shining. Sure, you no. said that. No, no, no. <laughs> Darn it! Everyone's seen The Shining. Well, you want to do the time? I'm, I'm I'm sure Bruce would prefer The Shining over Ace Ventura, yeah, but you can yeah, get it in any one you want. Let's do The Shining. Uh, All right. I'm gonna just say Gremlins. Gremlins is we always are, a we, go-to. We definitely did that already. Dang it! <laughs> Gremlins is Dude, always look, a go-to. Look, look who's on the podcast. Of course I know, we did that but like, why not do it again? I love gremlins. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm just kind of looking around. Um, ooh, the house with the clock in its walls. Oh, that's a good one. I don't that think you've seen that. And I, I feel like that one's been very underrated. Um, after it came out, nobody's really talked about it ever since. All right, so there you go, Bruce. Anton put uh, the shining, and may put the house with the clock in its walls. Um, anyway, um, Anton. Jack, Jack Black's in that one, right? Yeah, yeah you guys went. You guys yeah. we saw, saw that it. I thought that was Jack Black, but yeah. All right. It's awesome. All right. Well, I, uh, the kids are doing backflips on my bed now, so I guess that's it. Bye. Hey, everyone. We're back with Find Your Film. This will take a very quick second. Watcher. At the end of Watcher, Julia, played by Maika Monroe, she she gets her throat kind of slit. Actually, the side of her neck gets slit by by the watch, by, by Watcher, played by Bern Gorman. Bern Gorman is fantastic as Watcher. We couldn't mention him a little bit during the review because that would be kind of a spoiler. But yes, Watcher actually turned out to be evil. He is the person who is killing all these women around Bucharest. He cuts her head off. He puts them in a bag. We all know that. The end of Watcher has Julia, even though her throat or her neck is slit and she's bleeding out, you're thinking she might be dead. Her husband is actually hearing the noise from the next room. So he opens the door and he's going to Towards the other room where Watcher is, and you're ex- you're kind of expecting a showdown between Watcher and Julia's husband, but lo and behold, as Watcher gets out of the door, he gets shot in the back, and he turns around and gets shot again. And who's holding the gun? It is Julia. 
all bleeding and looking like a, Dar- a Suspiria from Dario Argenta. She is all bloodied from head to toe. She survived. She I mean, presumably survived that knife, little slit. She survived enough to actually get the, uh, the, the gun to the, from her friend who actually told her where the gun was located earlier in the film. She shoots him. And that gun was not a MacGuffin. It actually worked out at the end of the plot. Watcher is dead. The husband looks for one second. He looks at his wife. He's shocked and maybe a little bit of eventually a little bit of guilt. The movie ends with a close-up of Julia looking all bloody and determined. What's the tag? Did I miss it at the end, Eric Holmes? You no, the, the, the tag was – so he cuts her throat and then she bleeds out and then – uh, he leaves, and then yeah, like you said, the the husband or the husband was coming out, and so that's you know I thought he was gonna like find her dead, and then be like I should have I should have figured it you know, you know I should have believed you all along you know even if I didn't believe you I should have at least listened to you and and kind of explored this and I fucked up and now you're dead as a result I thought Fade that's kind of where that Fade I thought that's that's What's it. That? That's it. He finds it. Her, her dead maybe, body. Maybe and- he follows him or whatever. But I, I thought there was going to be that moment where uh, he realized that he didn't have his wife's back, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the, you know, with the Me Too thing, uh, you know, just because a woman says she's been raped doesn't mean she has. Could be lying, but at the same time, you still gotta, you gotta take this a little further than you're going crazy, mm. and especially, especially if you're your husband or boyfriend you got to take those kind of things seriously you can't say oh so-and-so's chasing me oh you're being crazy that that's not that's not how you go about that and so So you wanted to end it with her dead yeah or or at the very least him seeing her bleeding out and maybe they get or you know whatever what i didn't like was she gets up after she already bled out (laughs) and then shot him because granted they did they did set up that gun but I'm not buying it. She got cut in the throat. She bled a lot. She's not get like she was completely up and absolutely lucid. And then looking at her, you know, okay. you know, full face full of color and and it's like no, this no, her character's dead. There's no way in hell outside of like a you know some uh, like if Mike Myers gets shot and gets up, you expect that because they do that stuff. But this this felt like it was breaking the movie a little bit. Bruce, your thoughts at the end. Was that the tag that you mentioned? Did you, did you want her dead? Did you want Watcher dead? Yeah, I would do, do some version of that too. I mean, I would do something a little more, maybe something like um, she's still barely trying to crawl and maybe the Watcher um, runs out of the room and he is disappearing around the corner just as the husband comes out of the door. And the husband goes down to the door and is knocking. And the final shot is her almost making to the door, but she has died and the blood goes underneath the door Yeah, and maybe it hits his shoe or something. Or, or at the very least, if she's going to shoot, if she's going to shoot him at the end, get stabbed in the stomach or something. Like he stabs her in the stomach and then leaves. You know, but see, I love the fact that, that he's holding the thing to her neck and you don't think they're going to go there. And then they do. Oh yeah, that that and that that's what I'm saying. Like if they would have cut it like with him leaving, yeah, and kind of left you with a oh wow, all of her friends are going to find her, and you know she gave them all the warning signs, she gave them all the hints, and they didn't listen yep. to her. And now and now look okay, Eric, quickly. So you wanted watch her dead or, or you wanted him alive to live? I, on to I just didn't want her. I didn't. I didn't care whether she was alive or dead. I mean, I cared, you know, within the story, but. It, it wouldn't have made one difference whether she was alive or dead. There's ways you can do both. I didn't like the fact that she 
was got kind of the neck. up from that, that neck. because yeah, she okay. was dead. Like okay, there's yeah. in, in with the realism this movie sets up, she does not get up from that. And Bruce wanted a separate ending of Julia dead with blood under the door kind, kind of thing. Yeah. I, would, but I basically exactly agree with Eric. I think that what he's saying is right. I mean, I have a preference one way or the other, but either way, the the her conveniently getting up and shooting him, I didn't like that. I liked her killing him at the end. I like that because it's just heightened reality. I was fine with that. It, but I do agree with you regarding, yeah, she, if, you, if she's going to bleed out. I, I was thinking, yeah, shouldn't she have bled out? Actually, the way I wanted it to end would have been even more nonsensical. But, and it would would have really gaslit the whole gaslit narrative. Right. Have Watcher not be the killer. Just be a totally like normal See, guy. That's, that, that's one of the beauties of this movie because I thought maybe they were going that way. Okay, mm-hmm. but then here here's my alternate ending. Have the killer be one, someone else within this ensemble, maybe her husband, maybe a coworker, and the then the insidious thing. Him. Right. Or may and, and the insidious thing would be Watcher would be played by Bern Gorman would be one of the people who actually help her catch this killer. Yeah. That was well, see, I think that total... that weakens the story because I think that makes her Right, exactly. Yeah, because I, I think she's gotta she's gotta be right or to make the story really work. Okay, so yeah. Listeners, yeah, yeah. If she's wrong, it kind of, it kind of sends wrong messages. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does send a wrong message. But I, it would be kind of cool if there was an extra twist. That said, I gave it four and a half, and Eric gave it four, and Bruce gave it three and a half. That is our very I gave quick, it four and a half. You gave it four. Oh yeah, yeah. So I would have given it a five had it not been for that tag. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, didn't fault, make sense. <laughs> yes, you gave it four and a half as well. So me and Eric, we gave it four and a half, guys. This is our very quick spoiler discussion on Watcher. And tell us, eventually, I'm going to put it in one of our cinematic hodgepodges. I have so much stuff to upload. Tell us what you think about the ending of Watcher. This is, might be a, a very group community discussion on the ending of Watcher. All right, guys. We will see you soon. Take care. Bye.